Hi, morning church. Morning. Yes, great to be here on Sunday. Uh, yesterday, the Saturday service, I, I just reminded them that time flies and uh, it's been actually two years since Saturday service, 4 p.m. started. Yeah, so I think God has been gracious and he has definitely uh, brought new people in and, um, and people have really been ministered by the new time slot, right? So I think uh, it's, it's just a great thing to share uh, with all the, uh, the entire church. Amen. Um, why don't we just, uh, uh, it's a bit like, stay away. why don't we sit, turn to each other and say hello? <laughs> yeah, you got to get some, uh, you know, social energy going. Yeah? Uh, yeah, I'm an extrovert, so I think we need to draw energy from people. Okay, maybe before I begin, let's start with a word of prayer. Let's pray. Father, we come into your house to hear from your word. Holy Spirit, may you minister to us. Father, speak to us. Lord Jesus, we want to thank you that it's only by your grace we can come before your throne. All these we ask in Jesus' name. And everybody, amen. I don't know if you remember, uh, the year was 2004. Uh, close to Christmas, there was a tsunami tragedy. Okay? And, uh, you know, there was a story told of this young girl. Her name is uh, Tilly Smith. She was 10 years old at that time. And uh, very interestingly, she learned about tsunamis just two weeks before her family went for their holiday trip, uh, their, their probably winter holiday in uh, Phuket. So she learned about tsunamis in her geography class. So she learned about how to identify them, what the waves look like. The teacher did a fantastic job for a 10-year-old class, okay? But because I only learned all these kind of things probably at 15. But anyway, when she was there and the tsunami was about to strike, uh, she actually saw the waves and she told her parents about it. She said, hey, tsunami is coming. Okay. And she desperately tried to convince her parents uh, to evacuate the beach. So, of course, the parents would be like, are you sure? Tsunami is coming. It's just a normal wave. Okay. But I think her parents, sensing the urgency in her voice and how earnest she was, they took a chance on her and uh, they decided to believe her. Okay. So what they did, they, they obviously grabbed their family, and then they, they kindly informed the security guard nearby about uh, the so-called uh, impending tsunami, right? And uh, so, long story short, the beach was evacuated uh, to a second story of a nearby hotel, okay? Uh, and the last person made it to the second story of the hotel just seconds before a nine-meter wave uh, crashed onto the shore. And because of this little girl, she saved the lives of approximately 100 beachgoers. Maikau Beach, I think it's a beach in Phuket, was one of the few beaches that year that reported zero fatalities and only a few injuries. Today's passage uh, from Ezekiel chapter 33 talks a little bit about warnings, talks a little bit about uh, you know, consequences of not heeding a warning. But anyway, before we go into the book, let me give you a very quick background about the book of Ezekiel. Some of you might be interested to know that uh, Ezekiel, the writer of the book, uh, was from the tribe of Levi. And if you are familiar with tribes of Israel, then he was actually part of the priesthood. That means he was called to serve uh, a, a, alongside with other priests uh, in, in the presence of God. He was from the southern kingdom of Judah for the history buffs, right? Uh, which was eventually conquered by the Babylonian Empire. 
Okay? So Ezekiel was actually uh, part of the group of uh, Israelites that for some reason, maybe some kind of political power play, was exiled into, from, East, uh, from Judah uh, into Babylon. Okay? So this is the context of which his ministry uh, was, was uh, born. So the first part of the book of Ezekiel talks about God's judgment over Israel's sin. Okay, so for about 32 chapters. And then the second part of the book talks about uh, hope and restoration. So you just learned about Ezekiel in the last 30 seconds. Okay, but of course there's more, yeah? Alright, so today's passage is actually uh, found, it's taken from chapter 33, which was actually that turning point uh, in, in the book of Ezekiel. Okay, that turning point uh, from judgment prophecies to hope and restoration. Uh, part of uh, Ezekiel chapter 33 mentions Ezekiel's calling as this thing called a watchman. So I'll explain a little bit more about what that guy does later on. Talks about God's call for the people to repent, turn back to him, and, and, and lastly talks about God's heart for his people. So this is the sermon outline that I will have for you. Firstly, I will talk about an unappealing message still has to be delivered. Next, I'll tell you about uh, to see the message beyond the messenger and last but not least, God's heart is for the people. So let's move swiftly along. An unappealing message still has to be delivered. Ezekiel was entrusted with this role of a watchman. Now the watchman's job is a bit like an early warning system, okay? For those of us who are familiar with the uh, national service or being part of the military or you're interested in military, the watchman's role is a little bit like the scouts, Okay, the sentry post or the guy that stands at the tower at the, at the city gates and they look out in the distance to uh, you know, keep a lookout for impending enemies or attack. That's his job. Okay? So gi to give you a better description, let me uh, read directly from God. He does a better description than me from Ezekiel chapter 33 verses 1 to 6. Let's read from that. Okay, 33 verse 1. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, next one, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be on his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning. His blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity. But his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. You see, a watchman has a tremendous responsibility. A little bit like Tilly Smith that I mentioned earlier. If she knew that the tsunami was coming, but she did not tell her parents and the beach was not evacuated, we would have known what other consequences might have happened, right? You all get the point. A watchman had the job of providing early warning in the event of an enemy invasion or impending danger, okay? From their position, they can actually see far into the distance and they had an extremely important role to play. They had to warn the people, in the book of Ezekiel, it says, blow the trumpet, meaning sound the alarms that an impending danger approaches. Failing to do so would mean the destruction of the people, succumbing them to an enemy's attack, for example. 
And the responsibility actually would lie then on the incompetence of the watchman. Uh, back in the, in the army days, uh, I don't know if guys, you've ever been posted on sentry duty. I certainly have. And I have most certainly slept on my sentry duties. Actually, it's a big offense, you know. In the middle of the night, you are the, the, the eyes and ears to, to warn the camp that an invasion is coming. Obviously, I wasn't a very good watchman. Anyway, Ezekiel was called to such a role. Okay, he had a message from God from the people. Hey, sorry, for the people. And uh, to let them know that the wicked shall die. You drop down the next slide. Okay. And it wasn't a popular message. Who likes to hear warnings? Let's read from Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 7 to 9 to see the actual warning. So God says, So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, O wicked one, you shall surely die, and you do not speak to warn the wicked to turn from his way, that wicked person shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Verse 9. But if you warn the wicked to turn from his way, and he does not turn from his way, that person shall die in his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. So the question is this. Should an unpopular message be censored? Should Ezekiel not share this message of warning? No, because the message, no matter how inconvenient or unsavory or unpopular, was still an important message for the safety and well-being of the people. Amen. Like tsunami early warning systems. After 2004 tsunami, suddenly the whole world revamped their tsunami warning systems, right? And nowadays you hear when an underground earthquake happens, the people are warned, the alarms will sound, and they will make preparations. Things like air raid systems, earthquake warning systems, even our annual health screenings, maybe educational TikToks on retirement planning for the younger ones, or our parents nagging, are all examples of warnings. I submit to you, I believe that, I'm not talking about warnings that are used to, you know, exert control or to abuse people, but genuine warnings are backed by knowledge. Knowledge of what? Knowledge of an impending mishap in order to prevent a mishap from happening. I repeat that again. It is the knowledge of an impending mishap in order to prevent a mishap from happening. So how could a watchman withhold a warning of impending destruction from the people he was called to serve? So an unappealing message most certainly still has to be delivered. A lesson can be learned from the concept of a watchman, and I, I like to read uh, the scriptures and apply that in our life, in many areas of our life, and, uh, and, and just allow me to illustrate a few. The first illustration I would give is with regards to the parent-child relationship. Children, are you able to uh, look beyond the seemingly direct, sometimes crude or aggressive naggings of criticisms from our parents and see that actually our parents wish the best for us, yet how, at times they, they, they don't know how to express it in a way that you can see that. Can we watch? Can we see beyond that? For parents, it might be good to reflect on perhaps sometimes our intentions behind each nag or criticism spoken over the children. 
Are they out of love, out of a power struggle, an expression of past emotional baggage, or perhaps just imposing personal expectations? The second illustration I would give is with regards to the Christian to pre-believer relationship. Christians, we need to see that the message we have about Jesus as Savior is an important message for everyone because we know that judgment will come one day. We deliver extremely difficult messages about Jesus because we love people as Christ loves us. So do we treat the commission from Jesus to make disciples of all nations as a burden or inconvenience to our social standing? Maybe a means to increase church attendance to feel better about ourselves? Or do our hearts actually beat with the passionate love that God has for His lost sheep? And to the pre-believing friends, you know, I apologize on behalf of the church for the times where my brothers and sisters, fellow brothers and sisters, might have become aggressive, pushy, argumentative, defensive, or sometimes downright judgmental about Christianity. It was never meant to push you further away from Jesus. My appeal is, can you see beyond the unappealing methods that we might have used to tell you about Jesus and see that it is because this message about our sins and our need for Jesus as Savior is far too important for any Christian to keep to themselves and to the extent that maybe some of us get overly passionate about it. The next point is for us to see the message beyond the messenger. You see, genuine warnings come from a place of genuine concern. Would you all agree? And the well-being of the recipients. You see, what, what good does it do to a person for him to bring a warning message? But the reality is this, who likes to receive warnings? Not many of us. I certainly do not. Warnings seem like bad news. It seems like a means to restrict us, to not respect freedom and uh, autonomy. It quenches the fun, right? Signs like, do not touch, high voltage, do not climb, fragile. Eli hold me and sao. Only to turn around and see the drinks, auntie carrying cold drinks. Okay, but, but I guess in, in, only in that case, the auntie managed to get you out of her way. So she still accomplished her objective. Okay, with the exception of coffee shops, uh, real warnings are given for the benefit of the recipient, right? And uh, it, it actually it brings the messenger little to almost no benefit, right? Do you agree? Okay, so, so if, I, if I may suggest, okay, warnings might even actually bring the messenger uh, inconvenience, defamation, slander, and in the cases of prophets and martyrs for the faith, even death. So Ezekiel had to speak up against the wicked ways of the Israelites. He was telling the people that they were wrong. But who likes to be told they were wrong? But was Ezekiel nitpicking on, on others' behavior? Was Ezekiel trying to validate himself, uh, make himself feel like a greater person by putting others down? I don't think so. Ezekiel knew that the warning from God was far too important to ignore. He had to deliver it, no matter how inconvenient it might be. Therefore, we need to uh, distinguish between the message and the messenger. At the workplace, we know, right, for those of us who manage people, 
it is extremely difficult to give feedback to people with regards to their wrongdoings, their blind spots, and their shortcomings. You need to use the sandwich approach, right? Say something good, tell them what's wrong, then you say another good thing so they leave the conversation feeling better about themselves. But let me share with you Proverbs chapter 27, verse 6, because I believe that only those who genuinely care about you will tell you the truth. The verse says this, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Only those who love you and care enough about you would actually take up the courage, inconvenience themselves to tell you the truth. Sometimes a warning, sometimes a message that they know you might not like to hear. At times, the message used, the methods, however, used to deliver such messages, even though you have all the good intentions, might have been inappropriate, abrupt, or kind, or unkind, okay? But, but this does not change the heart or intention of the message. So sometimes recipients, we need to look beyond the messenger and see the message. Not easy, I know. But I, I, I suggest to us to, to, in a way, change our mindset and see that the people who truly care about us are the ones that will tell us. And I hope that we surround ourselves with this kind of people. We don't want just yes men that say, yeah, 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 go for it, even though they see you headed for doom. I, I, I want to surround myself with people that will tell me, stop doing that, because that's not going to have a good outcome. We all need to understand the heart of the message. And I bring you to my last point, which is for God's heart. God's heart is for the people to turn away from evil and towards himself. It's a little bit like watching your best friend fall in love with the wrong person. Despite your earnest warnings, coaching, honest opinions, your friend still went off with that person. In the workplace, I recently met a new friend and uh, this young, young lady, you know, she, she told me, hey, I used to quarrel with my, I, I, like, I always quarrel with my best friend. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Why best friend you like to quarrel so much? You know, she said, yeah, a recently, recent quarrel, you know, I, I, I'm actually looking to find a, a boyfriend, good one, settle down, that kind of thing. But Saturday, I went to a club to look for a guy. And my best friend scold me. Every time scold me, say, why you do this kind of thing? Looking to settle down, but you go to places that probably not so high chance. The friend loves her enough to tell her these kind of things. Other people just say, oh, go, go, go. Now, warnings are given. And Ezekiel's task was to bring God's message and warning to the people. However, at the end of it, it's really up to the individuals to receive the message and respond accordingly. Now, no matter the message, no matter how good, how gentle, or maybe not so gentle, method of delivery, a warning only remains a warning, a restrictive, unappealing message. If the heart of the message is not perceived, as a message of concern and love. God bears his heart over and over again throughout history that his desire is for his beloved people to turn away from evil and towards his design for righteous living. Verse 10, Ezekiel 33 verse 10 tells us that for those who receive the warning and realize their dire circumstances, 
Condemnation is not their end, but to turn away from the evil ways and back to God. I read from the verse, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? In other words, for those that have graciously accepted the warnings from Ezekiel, would have come to a realization that, hey, they aren't doing the right things. They are indeed wicked people. Who likes to be called wicked? But they received the warning. They saw the judgment. And they realized that, oh dear, how am I going to live? But verse 11 shows us how God responds to such a cry. God says to Ezekiel, Say to them, as I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? God's desire is for people to turn back from evil ways. And in today's context, you know, because we know about Jesus and how he has redeemed us from the curse of sin, the desire is not just to turn back, but to turn towards our Saviour Jesus. So will you trust that the warnings about sin and destruction come from a place of God's infinite acceptance and love for His people? Jesus is the representation of God on earth. When you see Jesus, He's, He Himself says, you, you will know the Father. So let's look at what Jesus says about this. In Luke chapter 5, verse 31 to 32, Jesus himself says, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Jesus understands the heart of his Father. It's not, the, the end of the story is not destruction, but it is for people to draw near and come back and reconcile back to him. God decided to take on the ultimate challenge to solve the problem once and for all, problem of sin. He gave His Son Jesus to pave the way for all to be free from sin, but the rest is up to us. So today, it is not a message of warning per se, but a message of a beautiful Saviour. Amen. Yes, the message of the Saviour cannot be fully grasped without the message of so-called disaster. How do you know good news is good news if you don't know that there is a bad news? So only when we know we are sick, then we will know we need a doctor. So they all go hand in hand. In many ways, the warnings from God, sometimes we read in the Bible, Old Testament, sometimes we hear sermons that tell us, you know, you can do better. Maybe we can treat these as warnings from God a little bit like a health checkup so you know whether your cholesterol level is going up or not. Maybe actually because the previous day you eat sotong. <laughs> Excuses, right? Uh, we, we need to be told that something is not right with us, then we can appreciate the remedies. I think you all understand my point. So my final thing that I would say before I come to a close is this. Will we heed the warnings spoken in love and turn to Jesus? just want to give us some time to reflect on the Word of God. I know that, um, you know, just four, four to five verses, but it, different verses speak to different people. Maybe we just spend some time reflecting. So every head bow, every eye close in this place.
and just allow the Spirit to, to, to speak to you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Yes, Lord. Father, we know that you love us enough to the extent that you would send people to give us warnings. But Lord, we also know that you gave us the ultimate solution, Lord Jesus, that you bore our sins upon the cross, that you bore the destruction and the wrath and judgment that we, your children, your believers, are free and can look forward for hope, for restoration, for right standing with you. So Lord, in the times where we have rejected your warnings, in fact, felt restricted, resentful because for some reason we don't want to hear those warnings, Lord, forgive us. May you open our hearts and shape our perspective to see that, God, you truly care for us and it is all written in your word. Father, I want to pray for those um, in our midst that, you know, have been hurt by certain warnings. Lord, I ask for a release of these chains in the name of Jesus. And I pray for every one of us here that our eyes turn towards you, fix upon you, and see that, God, you are just drawing us near because you love us so very much. So, Father, I ask that as we go from here that we will see and be confident of who we are in you because you love us and demonstrated all this on the cross for us. We thank you, Father, for loving us. All this we ask in Jesus' mighty name. Everybody say, Amen.